0: One of the top stories that dominated headlines all week was that of registered sex offender and multimillionaire Jeffrey Epstein committing suicide in his prison cell over the weekend. Attorney General William Barr ripped federal detention center officials in New York, saying it was a failure to adequately secure Epstein and the case would continue against any co-conspirators. For more on this, we spoke to Devlin Barrett. He's a national security reporter at The Washington Post. For more details, about Epstein's suicide.
1: Seems like a few things went wrong as far as the initial results of the investigation. And one of them is that in that unit, in the special housing unit, uh, the inmates are supposed to be essentially visually checked on every 30 minutes or so. And in his case, it appears that wasn't done for several hours before he was found uh, in a cell. So that's one problem. The other problem is that Normally speaking, he would have a cellmate in his cell, and that is particularly for folks who are at risk of harming themselves. That's considered an important part of the prison process to have a cellmate in there who can call out for help or notify someone if something goes wrong. And and he did not have a cellmate at the time this happened.
0: There was a lot of (laughs) a lot of the quotes that have come out from officials there basically made it seem like, well, if it wasn't Epstein, it was going to be somebody else. Uh, Almost like their hands were tied, like they could not prevent this.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly what uh, union officials have told us, that, you know, they're so stretched thin, according to the union, that it was bound to happen. Suicides in prison and jail is is a pretty serious problem. And and frankly, you know, if it's not a celebrity, it doesn't really get much attention. And, you know, I think what some of the union officials are trying to say is, look, we understand you guys care a lot about Epstein, but this is a problem in this system on a larger level.
0: I think uh, it was the attorney general himself who earlier this year said that they were short about 4,000 to 5,000 employees. Um, and, That's right. And so this has been an ongoing problem. There was a hiring freeze put on by the administration. And as you mentioned, union officials are saying, we're just stretched so thin, we really just can't handle it.
1: That's right. And and so you've got problems at that specific jail in New York. You've also got broader problems in the system. And we're told those two things impact each other, that those two things work together and, and sort of contribute to everything that happened there over the weekend. Uh, so there is this broader problem within the Bureau of Prisons. There was this hiring freeze.
0: What have the victims of Jeffrey Epstein said about this? They had to wait till next year when this trial was really going to start going through. As it is, they were waiting all this time and now they're not going to, get anything out of this.
1: The whole reason Jeffrey Epstein is, has been such a controversial figure and, and such a hotly debated figure is because he's already been through the system once and many people thought he was treated far too leniently. And now after he's been arrested again and charged again with serious federal charges that could carry decades worth of prison time, uh, he is in, in one way cheats the system again by killing himself and all these victims who had hoped to see him face trial for his alleged crimes are now not going to see him uh, at the defense table.
0: William Barr has said that, you know, this is not over, that now the focus is going to be on any co-conspirators that helped Epstein secure these girls and, and were part of the whole process. Who are they looking at with regards to that?
1: So there were a number of, there were basically four women who either worked for him or dated him uh, in the early 2000s who were involved in arranging for the girls to come to his house, uh, setting up uh, appointments for them, and in some cases, abusing them themselves. And so those four women, I think, are, are front and center in federal prosecutor's Uh, sites when they they think about who might face additional charges. I don't think we should assume that that anyone else will be charged, but I, I don't think we should assume that anyone's off the hook either. I mean, one of the challenges now for prosecutors is, do they have enough evidence from other victims and, you know, maybe documents to charge someone else. And if they were to charge someone else, would that person be able to convincingly say Epstein made me do it in some fashion? Because one of the odd quirks of this now is that the lead defendant, the most, the main suspect is now dead. And anyone who may have helped him, it's easier for them to make an argument that they weren't responsible because they were, they were afraid of Jeffrey Epstein and they were just doing what he told them they had to do.
0: Devlin Barrett, national security reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Throughout the week we got more information about Jeffrey Epstein's suicide such as information coming from the autopsy he suffered multiple breaks in his neck bones and we also found out what happened with those two guards that should have been watching him. My producer Victor Wright joins us for more.
2: You mentioned that it's leading into more of a discussion of whether or not he was killed or committed suicide and it's important to note that every expert that we've been reading about and that we've been that has made a statement about the hyoid bone Says, sure, it may be more common in strangulation in a homicidal way, but it can still happen when you hang yourself, especially if you're above the age of 40. Right. Jeffrey Epstein is 66. 66, exactly. The Washington Post article wrote that the hyoid bone, when you're younger, almost acts as a three-point joint, but when you get older, forms more of a U shape. And once you hit past 40, that thing gets really easy to break, especially when you're in a strangulation area. Dr. Sanjay
0: Gupta from CNN, he's their chief medical correspondent, said the autopsy does say there was multiple bones broken in the neck also, which lends itself to the hanging. While you're hanging, you're going to break multiple bones. Still, uh, you know, the, the larger question remains, how could such a high profile inmate be left alone for so much time so that this could happen? We've gotten reports that he either hurled himself off the top bunk or he just kind of was standing on his feet or either his knees and leaned forward to allow for the hanging to to happen. We're still not sure. There was no video of him at the cell. We're learning a little bit more about the circumstances around it. These two guards, you know, he was in the special housing unit where he's supposed to be checked on every 30 minutes. And these two guards did not check on him for three hours before they found him hanging in his cell. They found him at 6.30
2: in the morning. Tell us what we know about those two guards. I hope people take away the right things from this story because I hope people aren't saying, oh, Jeffrey Epstein, big story. There might be an issue with the prison system, small story. When in reality, it's these big things that are wrong with the prison system lead to stories like Jeffrey Epstein. The first guard that they got here, he was one of the staff members and actually came back to volunteer to get some extra overtime pay and just help out with detainees. The second one is an officer who had been working overtime because the jail was so overstaffed. And what I'm saying, there's issues with the system that led up to this. That's the kind of thing. Earlier reports were saying that staff members were working 60 to 70 hours. Right. And yeah, they fell asleep and they doctored the documents to make sure so that they didn't get in trouble. But that's kind of the issue.
0: That's a great point to make because that's exactly what the attorney general, William Barr was saying. There was serious irregularities in what was happening. The guards fell asleep. They didn't check on him for three hours prior. And it makes total sense. Three thirty in the morning. I mean, you're tired. Everybody else is probably asleep, so the action is low. So they took a moment. They probably knocked out and and didn't do anything about it. But then it comes to falsifying those records. They wrote down that they did check on him every 30 minutes, and that could be a federal offense for those guards. Those guards, from my understanding, have stopped talking to investigators. They've lawyered up, and you know they're worried for their jobs. And on the flip side of it, the warden has been reassigned to to another post for the meantime while this investigation plays out. The warden is the one who signed off on taking Jeffrey Epstein off of Suicide Watch, even though there was a, a suicide scare 12 days before.
2: On July 23rd, he attempted suicide. And then six days later, he was just taken off of it.
0: He was meeting with doctors there, and they deemed him to not be a risk to himself anymore six days after a suicide attempt, come on, that's pretty quick. The other thing that happened there, he was in that special housing unit. Uh, The inmates are supposed to be paired up with another inmate in the same cell. Somebody was taken out earlier on that Friday, and then Friday night into Saturday morning, Jeffrey Epstein hung himself. So, I mean, this just all adds fuel to the fire of how such a high-profile inmate could get away with this, and, you know, conspiracy theories abound from there. We'll keep monitoring this. It's the story just keeps getting weird turn after weird turn
2: more and more bizarre as it goes on. And
0: we'll see how it develops. Thank you, Victor. Thank you. My favorite story of the week has to do with how scorned women and a cop nicknamed Casanova caught the infamous dine and dash dater in Los Angeles. Paul Gonzalez would meet women on dating apps, invite them out to top restaurants for dinner, order lavish meals, then excuse himself to the bathroom and never come back, leaving the women with the bill and full of embarrassment. For the full story, we spoke to writer and journalist Jeff Mish.
3: Paul Gonzalez is one of the most original criminals I think I've ever investigated in the United States. Um, This is like a a weird, true crime culinary caper. Uh, So (laughs) I became aware of Gonzalez by watching television. There were news stories about this mystery man that was uh, tricking women into buying him dinner in the Los Angeles area. And it got me thinking, who is this guy? And why is he doing this?
0: Right. You got a chance to talk to him a couple times. Uh, I love the way you uh, wrote it in the article after talking to some of the women involved. He was a very good looking guy. He was uh, in shape. He had this dyed black hair, it was thick with gel, and he exuded this short guy energy.
3: Yes, I did meet Paul a couple of times uh, in a Starbucks in Santa Monica, and and wow, what, what an interesting guy. I kind of felt a bit starstruck, actually, meeting Gonzalez for the first time, because I'd seen his face in the... In the newspapers and on television so many times and I know the Pasadena Police Department felt the same way they just wanted to get a hold of him and um, yeah it was really interesting to to sit down with him for a couple of hours and, and find out where he was coming from
0: I mean he was the perfect villain I mean anybody who does a dine and dash much less leave a prospective date uh, uh, somebody who who's there under the pretense thinking we're gonna have a good time possibly romance could spin off of that And you dine and dash on somebody. I mean, that guy is a jerk. So he was the perfect villain. I remember this very vividly when it was going on. I live in Los Angeles also. So, I mean, I was glued to the TV every night too for any update. I wanted to know who this guy was and and when they were going to catch him. Funny enough, before we get into the meat of this story, you kind of got scammed by him too. You had to buy him his Starbucks coffee drink.
3: (sighs) This was the most unbelievable thing that happened during the investigation so i met i met gonzalez and um we went into a starbucks and the second time that we met we went to the counter and you got to remember he's talking to a journalist here um we went to the counter and he put his an empty coffee cup down on the counter and he asked for a free refill uh which you get in starbucks if you've bought a drink earlier but the manager came out and said look i'm really sorry this guy has bought no drinks today he's not getting a <laughs> refund so and i was really embarrassed and paul had bounced off to go and find a seat and it was really embarrassing and i realized in that moment i'd been dined and deaf <laughs> and i i found the the ladies in the queue the the line behind me right. were were looking at me everyone was staring at me. So I quickly got my money out and I, I paid for his drink. So oh, in a way, wow. I was a victim too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get to, to the real investigation. Let's start off with how he was doing this. What was his MO and share some of the meal requests that he made, some of the, the dinners that he ordered.
3: His MO was really simple. He'd meet women on dating apps like Bumble and Tinder, and he would get them into a date as quickly as possible through flattery and uh, you know being nice to them. And then He'd take them to a, a fantastic restaurant, order the most expensive things he could, fill in mignon, stuff like that, uh, usually an iced tea. And then just as he'd finished eating, or just before he'd finished, he would get a phone call and excuse himself, disappear, and he would never come back, leaving the woman with the bill. And then on the way out of the restaurant, he'd delete his dating app profile so that they could never find him again. Wow. Uh,
0: in one of these uh, dates, he ordered a salad? chicken fish and two lobster tails on the side and then after he finished all of that he ordered two more lobster tails (laughs) and finished off with a chocolate souffle so the guy could put the food away um tell us about some of the women and how they felt throughout this because it one it's an embarrassing thing for it to happen to anybody if you get stood up or much worse obviously the dine and dash type of thing they were left to foot the bill and, and then this whole embarrassment thing sits in. That's why a lot of them didn't report this to the police initially. And that's why he was able to do this for so long. He was doing it for like three years or so.
3: Well, this is a funny story, and we're all laughing about it now. But you've got to remember these are real victims. The women that he was taking out on dates were uh, – they were divorced. Some of them had you know, three or four children. You know, They were looking for love. Many of them, uh, two of them were nurses, you know, emergency room nurses. So they didn't have a lot of money. These weren't rich women that he was uh, taking advantage of. So when he stings them for a two hundred dollar meal, it's going to hurt. So mo- mostly the the women, the main thing that they told me, they all said the same thing. They felt like it was something they did wrong when they were dined and dashed upon. That they felt was it something I said? You know, they they didn't know at that time that it was a scam. They thought that. It was just a date gone wrong and you know thanks to detective victor cass at the uh, the pasadena police department uh, he was able to to bring gonzalez to justice
0: tell us about some of the news coverage that happened at the time because this was an important part of the story they they really blew it up i know inside edition got a bunch of uh, cracks at him they found him at some point but another thing was happening too there was this stuff playing out on uh, like on social media also where they were saying, well, what's the big deal? You know, Women do this all the time. They'll set up dates and expect a guy to pay for the whole bill. So he kind of almost became this anti-hero to to a lot of people.
3: Yeah, the the dine and dash data became a a national conversation. He was all over the news and everyone was having the same debate. Is what he is doing illegal? And hold on, Some people said, haven't women been doing the same thing since time began, expecting the man to pay for dinner uh, on a first date? So there were a lot of uh, people on Paul's side, there were a lot of people saying, hold on, uh, the Dining Dash data maybe isn't so bad.
0: Yeah, there was even uh, the some scientists at Azusa Pacific University examined the myth of the foodie call, which is which they found that 23 to 33 percent of women set up a date only for the purpose of getting a free meal. So, as you said, this kind of started this crazy conversation. But at the heart of it, this guy was a jerk pulling this move on all sorts of women. Tell us uh, how he finally was captured.
3: Well, he was finally captured by uh, a very clever police detective called Victor Cass, who is a bit of a legend in, in Pasadena for solving unusual crimes. And uh, Detective Cass, his nickname, I have to tell you, is Casanova, because <laughs> he too is an online data. So Casanova got to work and he was rounding up all of the, the victims, you know, getting them ready to give evidence. But the actual capturing of Gonzalez was a stroke of luck. Cass was minding his own business on foot patrol, when Paul Gonzalez happened to walk past selling Lakers T-shirts, apparently, uh, to tourists. And he made the arrest then and there. And I think it was a big relief for a lot of the victims.
0: Wow, always the scammer. The last thing that I want to talk to you about is you got a chance to sit down with him. I mean, one of the funny things from his interrogation with police was said that he, you know, he said he was the victim of various physical ailments, uh, including an injured back. and He claimed that, he only felt better when he ate fine foods, and if he didn't eat this good food, he'd get weaker in both body and mind. I mean, <laughs> what a what a yeah. what a crazy thing to say at that point. But what was the the sense that you got of him when the the times that you were able to sit down and actually talk to him? Tell us about who Paul Gonzalez, the man, is.
3: I mean, one of the things that he told me that really stuck with me was that he was the victim. You know, he felt that he had been conned by women that he'd met on the internet. He told me that they turned up and they looked 10 years older than the photograph that they presented, or perhaps they were more overweight. But I don't know how much of that is true.
0: In the end, he was just sentenced to 120 days and ordered to pay $240 in restitution to two of the victims. Really a slap on the wrist. You spoke to a lot of the women. What is their overall sense now that it's all said and done? I know they gathered around when he was going to be Convicted with all this stuff. They were sharing a happy hour meal things like that. How, how did they all feel at the end of it now?
3: There was a lot of relief there, there was a bit of a party atmosphere outside court when when Gonzalez was sentenced and that's right They did I think eight of the, the victims from the witness stand went to happy hour and had a big celebration So it was a, a happy ending and all of those women who at one point said they would never online date again uh, told me that they're back uh, they're back online, they're back on the apps, and uh, many of them are, are dating again, and some of them have found happiness.
0: Jeff Mees, writer, journalist, contributor to the Daily Beast, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.